You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. That just really flows right into the next question I was going to ask you. The best job you've ever had is it coffee? Is it casting? Is it you know what is it so far? Yeah, casting instruction. I love to teach fly casting because uh, this is how time flies, and I'm totally I can totally yeah. submerge my think my my whole everything into it. What's the worst job you've ever had? You may have to go back a ways for this one. The worst job I ever had was working in the pharmaceutical industry, sorting pills. Really? And uh, yeah, and the uh, and the factory was Pfizer, and that was like a couple of years before they came up with Viagra, and we were doing only boring pills like Valium and stuff. So there was nothing, <laughs> nothing in it. <laughs> Am I gonna have to edit this? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, do you want another answer? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> just, just the truth. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. TheFlyCrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. TheFlyCrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us today. And we're going to take you over to Glentees, Ireland. We are very happy to welcome Michael Revolts to the show. Now, Michael is a fly casting instructor. He's the inventor of Bonker Spay. We're going to talk all about this. What exactly is it? It's also called um, Rodborne Anchor Casting. He's a self-admitted spay casting addict. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. I'm very sorry. At the moment, there's a very heavy hail shower going down. Oh, I can if hear that. Can hear yeah, are you? So the sound, are you inside? So that's why the sound is poor, but it should be over in a minute. We are in Ireland, and this is how the weather is here. Huh. One minute you have the sun shining, and the other minute there might be hailstones battering down. So wow! But I hope you have a clear sound and can hear me. Yeah, now no, it's better already. Yeah, I can. It's that's. Thanks. That's funny. The second we started recording, because you were crystal clear, is that is the yes, hail, hail stopping now? <laughs> it is. Uh, it should be getting better. Yeah. <laughs> um, you never know when it comes back again, though. So I tell you what, Michael. Um, on this show, we we always like to take it back to day one for you. So if you had to look back at your spay casting, your fly fishing journey, how did this obsession with fly fishing begin for you? 
how did this obsession begin? After school, I went on a trip to your country, Canada, BC, and we were very close to where you're coming from, actually. And uh, this is where I caught the fly fishing virus. Actually, we met. We were we were spin fishing on on a spot somewhere, and we weren't catching anything all day. And then some man came along with a bubble float and a little black fly behind it and was catching fish in front of us and asked if we want the fish. And I said to the man, I would prefer two bubble floats and maybe two black flies. That would be better. And he was very <laughs> kind and gave us them. And so we fished away and that's kind of how how it all started. And wow. The real fly fishing experience was two years later than when we said we have to fish again and me and my friend Joe we went to Slovenia because we heard there's the biggest trout in Europe the marmorata the marble trout mm -hmm. and <clears throat> I bought my first fly rod the day before and we went down there and we failed miserably <laughs> and of course if you're not if you can't cast and if you have no information and it's it can be very difficult and daunting and mm -hmm. so we we drove all the way down to Slovenia and we failed there completely <laughs> but at the same time I was looking at these men and women fishing and they were throwing the line so elegant under the bushes on the other side and I was completely <sighs> fascinated by it so Immediately when we came home, I started to practice fly casting mostly by myself. That is back 25, some tw back in 1996, mm -hmm. 1998. There was no, the internet wasn't developed. This was very hard to come by information on fly casting in general. All you had, or you had to order stuff from America. Like I can rem remember, I ordered a, a video of Joe and Wolf, the dynamics of fly casting, and I learned it by heart and uh, progressed from there. And I was nearly 10 years into self practicing until I thought I now, or I heard there's an instructor qualification next week, and I thought. Uh, I go there and see if I can make it, sort of. And I met, I had my first casting lesson uh, three days before it or so, hmm. where I was just meeting a master casting instructor to check up on how my, will I make it? And he said, uh, boy, there's a there's an 80% chance that you don't make it. You have to be very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to the test and I failed after three casts and that got me really started <laughs> I, you seem like a very determined person a lot of people well <clears throat> a lot of people turn away then but for me this is all about the learning experience and from these failures you learn most yeah true and uh, so it was like one in the face after three casts i was out <laughs> and i thought i thought to myself boy you're far 
you're you're by far not as good as you think you are. And I went back to practice. I got casting lessons from people who understand what they're doing because on a certain level, I think a lot of people think they can cast and they don't develop from there. And for me, it's very important that you get someone to analyze your casting and someone that tells you what is not right. Hmm. You know? Yeah. And you work from there. And for me, after 10 years of self-practice, it was kind of difficult to take steps back because that is what you do. You go back to the basics. You let away the hauling hand. You're only throwing short lines, but very precise and good good cast and you build it up from there and it took me quite a while so next the year after i went back back to the casting exam and i failed again uh though the casting was good enough there's sometimes in these casting exams you get a bit of a wind or you get sort of unpredictable factors calling in and your nerves go in a little bit, maybe. So mm-hmm. I made it further than the third cast, but I failed again on the, um, what's it called? Target on the accuracy cast. Right. I was a side room and I couldn't put her in. I failed again. And again, I've, I have to say I was a bit... Uh, not amused on that day, but I took it again and went again. And a year later, I passed it with first cast every time. Hmm. So, so I know how to do it wrong. (laughs) That's like you say, that's where we learn. I think it's like, whether it's a golf swing or your fly cast, once you have habits, it's hard to unlearn things. And trust me, I know I'm not a great caster, but I've been doing it wrong for a long time, so you, you tend to get a little stubborn. But uh, kudos to you for for trying to figure it out. And I, you're you throw a very interesting loop. We're going to talk in all all about Bonker Spay and and what you got going on. I, I'm curious if you had to pick some mentors along the way who've influenced your fly fishing, Michael. Um, could you kind of yes. name a couple influences um, that have helped you along the way? Unfortunately, a lot of these people I had, or some of these people I had to break up with them after I came up with Bonkers Bay because for whatever reason, they couldn't handle it. And uh, that's why I have difficulties naming those people. I can name a few people who are supportive with Bonkers Bay and a few people that are understanding and that would make i think more more sense or to be honest i made very bad experiences with ca- with casting instructors <laughs> and my new bongo spray method okay and i can't really explain why this is and or it's a bit difficult to for me to get my head around this because if there if there would be a method that would help people why would you not at least have a look at it Mm. and um, 
Some of the few supportive people here in Ireland are, for example, Gary Bell is a master in casting instructor with Up Guy, and Stevie Mann, and internationally, I try to chat to a lot of these. Uh, how do you, how would you call them? I, I like to call them supercasters or mm-hmm. high up people casting authorities all the way up to people I would consider world authorities in space casting. I try to talk to them. Usually they I get ignored and they don't they don't talk to me much about this or they don't wanna wanna know. And um, back to the influencing casters, I want to say one more or a couple more things. I was I said already I bought this video from Joe and Wolf and then I bought books from Mel Krieger and Lefty Cray and you name it, <clears throat> Bruce Richards and so on. And I think I also came to Ireland by working for a former world fly casting champion from Switzerland and managing his estates. And I think a lot of people try too hard to mm-hmm. imitate and to mimic their casting idols and they by by doing so they lose to find their own style they lose to find their own feeling for this hmm. whole thing you know yeah that's like, that's interesting example, and i know what you mean by that because no, nobody has the same cast right nobody correct and nobody has the same anatomy and nobody has the same feeling it can't be working hmm. I give you an example from my own uh, history in fly casting, so to say. I read a book from Lefty Cray, and Lefty Cray kind of, I don't know how deep you are into this, but he uses the arm differently to the side, like totally different than the English casting style. And he has a thumb on top, grip, and then if, if you try to replicate this from a book, and you can't, YouTube is such a, an advantage today, you know, like 20 years ago, you were trying to transfer that knowledge from, from a book without any visuals. That was far more difficult. So I, try, I, I tried so hard to imitate that Lefty Cray style, yeah? mm-hmm. and it would never work. And it took me like, I don't know, another decade to notice that it makes no sense in fly casting, which is such an individual thing to even try to mimic or copy people. I mean, you have to find your own style, your own way of doing things. You have to develop your own feeling. That is where I put my emphasis on feeling. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And this is where, Nowadays in fly casting, or I think in general, a lot of people are lost. Uh, let me say that, especially men have usually uh, problems talking about feelings, or you know, they just don't <laughs> talk. They just yeah. do, and they work it out. And give me a super fast rod. I need a tight loop, and let's go and bang it out there. And usually that leads to poor casting and tennis elbows and frustration. And uh, 
this is where I think fly fishing in general has to wake up a little bit and try to start to see things from a bit of another perspective. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, we're going to dig into that perspective, uh, at least yours, and uh, I'm sure lots share it in just a moment. I, I want to take some time to get to know you off the water, Michael. Are you ready for a few yes. uh, questions about uh, kind of day-to-day life? Work away, I am. All right. So now when you are in your vehicle headed to your favorite river or your favorite stretch of water, what are you listening to, uh, you know, music-wise? Uh, I listen to a lot of stuff, like from rap music to classic music to, uh, you name it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want to pin it down. But in general, what I notice, I don't know if you have noticed that too. Many of the times you drive to the water in a rush and you hear music as loud as you can and and so on, and you go and you fish, and when you're driving home. You don't even think about turning on the music. <laughs> Have you ever realized that? Yeah, I yeah, I know what you mean. Yes. So it's it's and I I generally don't listen to a lot of music. I'm not uh, hammering it in my head all the time like some people need this noise around them all the time. We we live in a very quiet rural environment and i i can enjoy the silence too mm. i have to say no nice so if you had to name a fly pattern that you are prone to using more often than not is there one that you you reach for a lot yes <laughs> okay can you tell us what it's... now you probably invented this pattern too and it's got some weird name i bet <laughs> I don't like to talk about these things. <laughs> okay. No, no. Uh, it depends. All I'm saying for the salmon fishing, I use very standard patterns. Yeah. Uh, like the Cascades, like the Wilkinsons, like the Kelvin shrimp, which is very popular here. Mm-hmm. I have a little, few wee little tweaks on materials, but in generally, I try to keep it very basic and simple and with the odd tweak or i think the most important thing in salmon fishing is not the fly pattern itself it's that you believe in it and i just if if there's something on that doesn't fill me with full consequence uh, sorry confidence then i change it yeah that's you know that's well said i i agree and Considering the the dry fly and the trout fishing, I find a CDC and deer hair sedge very hard to beat when they're rising and when when they're under under the surface, pheasant tail, something like that. You know, very yeah. very basic. Sure. I'm more like a presenter. I think if you present it right, they won't they won't count the fibers on the t- the fibers on the tail or the legs <laughs> on the. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that. Especially here, it, it also depends. You know, we here we fish for the wild brown trout in the lakes. They are small. They are hungry. They are not selective. This is not like a, a I don't know, a whatever chalk stream in 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 the Midwest where there's high fishing pressure and where you, it all depends on on the on the water too. You know, and where I see good anglers are able to 
adapt to these conditions just you know mm -hmm. it is there a sp specific place you like to go to get your fill fishing when you're not fishing so you know is there a is there a fly club maybe that you belong to is there a fly shop is there a you know a watering hole you frequent to get your fix fly fishing when you're not in your waders uh, the last two three years now were difficult a bit here with the virus and everything locked down but i like to hang out in glenmore lodge for example that's a fishing lodge here over the hill from uh from a couple of boys who had the band simply red and i'm friendly with the manager there and it's see in donegal there's some very cool people and i like to hang out with with them and i also i'm very thankful for having those people because i got such a lot of help from them and information and you know it yourself when you're when you're guiding or when you're when you're new to a spot and you have someone who tells you this is where you park here you go down this is how you do your thing take this fly and you know just to get started i'm only living in donegal since mm -hmm. six years there was three years in connemara before and <clears throat> and in germany where i'm from anglers wouldn't be that helpful you know really i have yeah, I have the impression. Oh, Ireland has 20 times less population than Germany. And in Germany, the, the pressure is just much higher. Therefore, the competition is. And you know it yourself, maybe, how anglers can act when they compete. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, no, but I really have to say that is a place that is cool to hang out. And yeah. you sh used to go in the odd pub two for a pint or two though i'm not much of an alcohol drinker have to say but that was difficult the last three years now so it's more mm -hmm. that you visit people or you meet them on the river and sure makes sense um yeah. let's talk sports are, are, are you a sports guy at all i mean uh, in other words um if you're cheering for a team are we talking you know is it cricket is it football uh What's your go-to when it comes to sports? Uh, not much, to be honest. I'm not a big uh, team sports fan. I do follow the MMA a little bit and yeah. because I find it so fascinating. How can you be that crazy and <laughs> violent? <laughs> but uh, that the end, um, I come from skateboarding. I also follow skateboarding a little bit. Uh, well, weirdly, just because I find it interesting how it develops and da da da. And Bonkers Bay is also connected in a way to skateboarding because that's where I'm coming from. Just and that's where the definitions or the the name, the namings are from too, and in parts. Okay. Um, biggest lesson you've learned so far on your fly fishing journey so if you had to kind of step back and you know this is the takeaway um that i get from what we do what could you verbalize um the biggest lesson on your journey so far uh, you're asking some very interesting questions that make me think myself <laughs> yeah. biggest lesson 
biggest lesson I I would nearly say don't follow your idols hmm. or don't take everything granted that is being said in fly casting instruction especially I think there's a lot of things out there that are consumed without reflection and my biggest lesson or my biggest thing to pay attention to in the meantime is I like to verify and question everything for its validity of information. I give you a, I give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. You hear a lot, lot of casting instructors say, let the rod do the work. Yeah. Yeah. Let the rod. I've heard that. Yeah. What, what's the information in that? <laughs> it's absolutely zero. If you hold a fly rod up in the air, it will do nothing for you. <laughs> so you cannot let a fly rod do the work for you. Right. But if you change one word in that sentence and you say, you have to make the fly rod work. Right. That's a difference. And that makes sense. So, you know, I think a lot of casting instruction is learned by heart and repeated without reflection. Hmm. And my, I think the biggest tip is reflect everything. Don't consume thoughtlessly. Hmm. Interesting. And don't just, <clears throat> don't just take things, go and ask those people, why is this? How is this? You need to, if you're not, if you can't develop a deeper understanding for casting and for your development, for your movements, for your anatomy, for for the whole complex, and if you're only copying this stuff, you you can't develop. It's a, I think, good fly casting comes to eighty percent from the head and not from the arm. Hmm. Interesting stuff. I, I, we got, we got lots of ground we can cover here. I know. Um, fill in the blank. <laughs> fill in the blank for me. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Dog work. Would you say yard work? Dog work. I have three dogs. Oh, dog work. Uh, so are yes. they hunting dogs? What do you mean by dog work? Are you training them? Yes, hunting. Yes, hunting dogs. Two mm. pointers and a lot. Nice. So what do you hunt? Yeah. Partridge? Woodcock. Okay. Yeah. Woodcock in the winter is very interesting. Very huh. interesting. Huh. And and the old deer in the rut, which is starting now here. And uh, I only got a new dog a couple of weeks ago. So that's what I spend a lot of time at the moment, training this dog. And then we run a coffee business, Pirates of the Coffee Bean, down in Narn Beach. Pirates and of the I Coffee put, Bean. I like that name. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And uh, yeah, that's what we do. So, so that just really flows right into the next question I was going to ask you. The best job you've ever had. Is it coffee? Is it casting? Is it, you know, what is it so far? Yeah, casting instruction. I love to teach fly casting because... Uh, this is how time flies, and I'm totally—I can totally yeah. submerge my think my my whole 
everything into it. What's the worst job you've ever had? You may have to go back a ways for this one. The worst job I ever had was working in the pharmaceutical industry, sorting pills. Really? And uh, yeah, and the uh, and the uh, factory was Pfizer, and that was like a couple of years before they came up with Viagra, and we were doing only boring pills like Valium and stuff. So there was nothing, <laughs> nothing in it. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to have to edit this? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, do you want another answer? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> just just the truth. Um <laughs> Well, let's let's dig into this cuz I'm really want I I want to hear this in your words because when when we first when you and I first started chatting, I went on and I looked at your, your YouTube videos. And if, if you want to see what we're talking about, YouTube is probably the easiest way to do that. We can, you, you know, to try and explain something, there's a lot of visual things happening with what Michael's doing. So we're, yes. we've got Michael Repulse on the line out of Glen Tease, Ireland. Uh, he's a fly casting instructor and he's created this bonker spay casting also called a uh, rod born anchor casting which kind of has an anchor system and it's really I, I think it's a it would be a valuable tool in anyone's toolbox just from watching you cast and you really know how to work a line tell me michael about bonker spay how did this start and and walk us through the journey so far i know that's a big question yes uh thank you um how did this start? It it did actually start with a, a casting session. I have a practice lake here, sort of opposite of my house, a mile away where I am. I practice fly casting every day, maybe not with a rod in the hand, but with my head and all this. So I practice fly casting quite a lot, and we were having a casting session with two other friends and a friend of mine sort of made this casting mistake and rolled the line off and made the cast. And I noticed that this worked. Huh? Hmm. And I just, we just went on with our casting session. And um, a day later or two, when I, when I went back to, to my practice, my own personal practice, I just gave this a, a try and I noticed ah oh, this works very well but it is sort of a mm, I noticed that it works very well but it, that that it also works different from a from a from how you cast it because it is so slow and um, from there on I tried to figure this method out and develop it and um got better at it and um then i published the first the first video just because i thought i put my name on this trick mm -hmm. and i thought it's a cool move because what happens to me when i'm salmon fishing and there's nothing happening for a long time i get bored and I don't want to make the same cast over and over again. I find it boring or it's like 
more interesting if you have more alternatives in the toolbox sort of mm-hmm. and i just published that video and i thought oh that's a that's a neat that's a, just a neat trick yeah sure go for it and <clears throat> i posted this on social media and take take the right few people and just to get it out there i wasn't i wasn't thinking that much i just thought oh yeah that's a that's a nice nice move get it out there that's it mm-hmm. and um i don't know an hour after i dropped that post there was like a couple thousand views on it and a couple hundred comments how shitty that is and how bad that is and that it is no good for nothing and what this is and that that you're not allowed to do that and that you would push me in the river if you see me casting like that and stuff like this and um all that negativity kind of made me dig deeper in that method right. and i noticed and suddenly i noticed oops look man this thing works indeed better for example when it's very windy or when it's very tight mm-hmm. like as you can see in these videos the line is repositioned sort of between the rod tip and the angler and that means that it's far closer to you and the closer the line is to you the better you can control it and of course if this line is hanging over the rod blank the wind can't blow it nowhere right now if you're i don't know how proficient or how you how informed you are with all the spy casting lingo and all this but in a snap t for example you have a lift you snap that line you have a sweep and this all these movements they happen under rod load or in a snap t you load the rod you unload the rod you load the rod you unload the rod and you load it again for a forward cast mm-hmm. bonker spay has no lift because you just pull the line in and hang it over the rod and that is already your lift like 90% of the beginners they screw their cast with wrong lifts and if there is no lift there's one factor less to screw up hmm. and so- <clears throat> the deeper i digged into the method the more i discovered how valuable it really is how important was it to develop a language like for me like when you're doing something a little differently you got to verbalize it and <laughs> i'm sure yes. that's that's probably been a big part of the process it has it has and it was very <laughs> it it's it was really it still is an incredible experience really and these definitions this this language i needed to make this especially and and um, primary for myself to understand this method and to to be able to communicate it and to transport it to people i mean you need there's a few new steps to it and they 
if you want to talk about this stuff, you need names and definitions for it. Hmm. I've got to, and, I've got to, um, can I ask you something? Because you probably know the answer to this, and I, I know I don't. How, how long has spay casting been around? Like, is it something that's quite, quite old or, or not? That's a very good, that's a very good question. And I was um, investigating there too, because uh, the, uh, one man who is associated with spay casting very much is Mr. Alexander Grant. I don't know if you heard about mm -hmm. him, yep. Alexander Grant or Sandy Bannon. Yep. He was a man, you heard about him, yeah? He yep. was a man who was able to, I think it was in like something like 100, 130, 150 years ago, he was able to outcast people by miles. And that was due to his casting style and he sort of put a name on spay casting because it happened on the River Spey in Scotland. Right. This is where it is all from. But I have the suspicion that actually Alexander Grant um, only took that cast to the River Spey and that it's originally from Wales. Um, I don't know if you know a man, Art Lindgren. Yeah, I've actually had, him on, the, I've had him on the show. Ah, very good. I must listen to it. Um, he wrote a book, and the book is called Spay Casting, History of Spay Casting or the Welsh Throw. Hmm. And now if you look at the title of the book, why is there the Welsh Throw in it? Now, I know from studying Alexander Grant that Alexander Grant was learning the trade of um, drapery, in Wales. Okay. And I have the strong suspicion that Alexander Grant learned the Welsh throw in Wales there, took it over to the Spey and popularized it there as a Spey cast because he was such a better caster than everyone. Hmm. You know? And, but this is where Spey casting originally comes from and Back in the day, there was only two spay casts known of, the double spay and the single spay, and all the other casts are coming on to that later. Right. So then, so then, how, you know, once you kind of found this system that you, you call bonker spay, um, what did this bring to your, you know, your kind of your arsenal on the water is it just because it seems to me like you can change direction at, at at the drop of a hat or you can you know which isn't necessarily that easy to do with normal spay casting yes um it puts it it puts me in a situation where for example when there's a gale force winds blowing and people come up the river and they say I need to get a spinning rod. I can't fix the fly anymore, or the wind is terrible. I must go home, whatever. It just makes me a big smile, and I think, oh, yeah, I have bonker spay. There's no problem here. Let's put on another bouffant or two, bring it on. <laughs> That's the way you go down the river with 
with bunker spray, the same as in, in places other people can't fish or are very worried to tangle, you know? Right. Bunker spray, rod burn anchor casting, needs less space. Hmm. And by hanging that line over the blank, I can control, I just have a higher control of degrees of freedom, you know, and I can sort of think of it as a crossbow shooting system versus a longbow shooting system. A single spay would be your longbow shooting system where you draw the string and shoot. Right. And you have very little time to to hold that shot because you run out of, or single spay has very little, a very small window of opportunity to time it right. And the line falls very quick in bunker spray, that line hangs over the rod and you can take all your time to focus on target and you can align things far better and place anchors far better in tricky situations. And um, so that's why you were asking about my mindset that is generated with bunker spray. I think it makes you far more confident angler. And also what I realized, and I would have never believed that I'm practicing casting for 20 something years, nearly 25 years, mm-hmm. nearly every day. And I would not have believed what bunker spray or roadborne anchor casting did to the rest of my casting. Yeah? Because what what you really learn, what it, it forces you to make a cast with as little as possible, or to be only fast at the end of the cast. Hmm. And it is really amazing to see how little it actually takes to reposition this line and put a vibration through this rod to make a cast. Can, can I ask you a crazy question? So uh, rod born anchor casting, that kind of, that, that makes sense to me, but where did you come up with bonker? Like for, do you think that maybe that just that word for whatever, when I think of bonk, <laughs> I think of hitting the fish over the head and killing it. Um, yes, there's another meaning for it even here. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. Let me explain that to you. I said, I come from skateboarding. Okay. And, um, so bonker spay is at in one side short for rod born anchor, born anchor. Oh, gotcha. Bonker. Okay. Yeah. And on the other side in skateboarding, there's a few trick moves that, for example, uh, you can hit an obstacle with your board and just hit it quickly and bonk it. Yeah. Okay. That's just a lingo in, in skateboarding and snowboarding. And that's, why I because you hit the line on the blank, yeah, right? Sure. You bonk the line okay. on the blank, that and makes then sense. You, you bonk it off, sort of, and that's why I called it that. Uh, here I was also told that, and I wasn't aware of that meaning that bonking has also another meaning of uh, sexual intercourse. Right, I kind of figured uh, that's where you're going with that. <laughs> I'm I'm German originally, so see, honestly, I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of that meaning, and uh, but by the time it, it was out, it was already too late uh, <laughs> to to change that. And 
Well, use use Rodborn anchor casting if Bongos Bay is too <laughs> is not. <laughs> it's it's so good you had to name it twice. <laughs> I love it. Catchy name though. <laughs> yeah, for no, sure. I had to name it twice. See, Rodborn anchor casting is named Rodborn anchor casting due to the existing uh, nomencla- nomenclature of spay casting in relation to airborne anchor casts and waterborne anchor casts. Hmm. So airborne anchor casts, waterborne anchor casts, rodborne anchor casts. Got it. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. So there is there is a system. There is a bit of a... It's, it, the name is not chosen by accident or, you yeah. know? understand got it yes um so can we talk about the gear that you're using like are you a um walk us through the gear that you're using to cast cast these lines and the types of lines you're casting like what's your go-to um and and i'm happy to name brands i'm not sponsored by any rod company if there's a specific rod you, you prefer to use just just throw it out there um, what are you throwing most of the time? With the development of Bonker Spay, I started my own rod company. And I use my own rods. The company is called Spay Energy. Like spay casting and energy in one word, Spay Energy. Okay. And um, the lines I use are integrated switch lines. And I try to change weights, actually. I'm not... I think you come and become a better caster if you don't stick to the same line all the time. And that's why I try to to change it up. And I want to be able to, say, make a good cast with an eight-weight rod and a three-weight line. Hmm. Or I, I like to make casts with three-weight rods and eight-weight lines. So I personally... I try to ignore this Aftma system completely in the meantime. And that's also what we do with the Spainergy Road project, by the way, because we made a couple of very, very interesting experiments. And they showed that the line ratings on fly rods are better ignored. Hmm. I can I can refer to these experiments quickly if you're interested in I just I didn't want to annoy your listeners with that or bore them. <laughs> hey, look, there's you don't have to worry about that. They can just, you know, <laughs> you, you can choose to listen or not listen. But I always like different, you know, uh, refreshing yes. perspectives on things. Uh, okay, let's let's dig this. Let let's dig into this a little bit. Okay. Bongo Spay Rodburn Anchor Casting made me question and rethink a lot of things. Bogger Spay also enables you to throw far heavier lines than all other casts because it's so slow. You rod, you bend that rod so slow, you can get away with super heavy lines on the method. Anyway, I go back to this experiment. And I, what I realized since years of teaching fly casting that when people begin casting, that they usually can't feel the line. I was already on feeling. And this not feeling the line, that leads to, let me say, waving the rod back and forth without ever without ever 
progressing yeah without ever mm-hmm. getting a feeling for the feeling and have no other yeah you, lingo you're not going to be loading but, that rod properly yes yeah correct but if you go there and say you give your beginner who is trying hard to cast and you go there and instead on on his five weight rod with its five weight line you give him an eight weight line on this five weight rod and on the first cast or a second cast he says already oh that's different now now i feel a bend it's it's, it's oh yeah load you were talking about load there now i can bend this rod right mm-hmm. and from there on your person can develop the casting and go on to lighter lines then later but i think that this <clears throat> after system or this line classification system and fly casting in general is uh yeah a thinking mistake a little bit of a thinking mistake because it is a system that is made from supercasters for supercasters it's like it's the system like as if uh, um i don't know michael schumacher would give you as a driving beginner the key to his ferrari and say <laughs> go on boy, hit it hard go as fast as you can and you have to do the lap under two minutes <laughs> and you sit in this ferrari you hit the gas pedal and you shoot it on the wall yeah and this is what happens a lot in beginning fly casters and this is where a lot of frustration is in there and the whole system is built that way in my opinion and if you look at the market of lines for example what the gadget lines do they ignore this completely they overload sort of overloading is a tricky word but they use higher weights all the time than recommended for example that's why it works so well right or if you look at the line market there's some companies they do lines like five and a half now suddenly yeah why is that that is because of a five weight rod doesn't work on an ordinary five weight line or most of them now i go back let me circle back quickly to the experiment we made I have a very cool partner. I need to give props in Luxembourg. He is Jan Quintus, who is a man I've worked with since three years. And he's very, uh, yeah, a thinker too. Yeah. And what we, what we did was we developed the rod series where we said, now we want to know it now here. We make a rod series of prototypes where we put only the line the length of the rod on it and not the line weight so we made prototypes a 10 foot an 11 foot a 12 foot a 13 foot rod with only the length on it and we got a set of reference taper lines in this case i name it the snowbee switch taper in all grains in all grain um, classifications all the way from 200 grain to 450 grain and we gave these rods to people and said, and to people of all different casting skills, yeah, casting instructors, people who can't cast at all, mm-hmm. we gave them the rods and the lines and we said, here, play with this. And you don't know nothing about 
Aftma and recommended weights or whatever, just play with this and then come back to me with a line recommendation. Yeah. So yeah. we sort of um, we sort of blocked the Aftma thing out and we just relied on the feeling of the caster. Again, I'm on feeling. And it was very surprising the uh, results of these experiments were super surprising because none of the people, none came out with the recommended Aftma weight on the blank. Nearly everybody was about four grams over it. Some people up to 10 grams over that. Hmm. Now, a, a five weight blank is generally, I, I just throw something out, might be rated 10 grams. Yeah? And then there's people coming out and say, now this rod works super with a 19 gram line. That's nearly twice as heavy. Hmm. So this was very, very interesting to see. And I think fly fishing has to do a bit of homework there or that this system doesn't generally help a lot of people. It rather gets them stuck in a place where they can't develop from. Because if your line is too light, you will never be able to generate feeling for it. Yeah. That's interesting. And I, I know a lot of people I talk to prefer to fish with a slightly heavier line. I think that is a fairly yes. common theme. And it's, you know, it loads, you, you feel it more, I, I think, in, in some respects. But, and then that gets back to what you're talking about, your casting style. Everyone's slightly different. We all feel things differently. I talk to people on the show that love super slow glass rods and then some that love super fast action, stiff graphite rods and, and everywhere in between. Yeah. Right. So I'm sure there's not one size fits all, but, um, so where, where See, do we, what, what happens to, go ahead. What happens to, if you change the line weight, the rod action changes too. Look, if you have a super fast five weight and put an eight weight line on it, it won't be that fast anymore. Hmm. So it's all, I think there's, there should be more thinking done within this context and more ignoring as well. <laughs> because <laughs> see, from, from what I've seen, from what I've seen in these experiments, it would make more sense to put on a fly rod the information for fish to 20 pounds than a line weight. Right. What happens also at the same time, once you start, and this is what I, here's the next hail shower. I was just going to say, I can hear it. It sounds like it's raining or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's important. I think it's important to think and not to consume. And it's also for the development of your own casting progress and style, I find it extremely important to throw different line weights on one rod. That's even one of one of the bigger casting tips I would I would give out there. Change it up, 
take out alliance, make them all throw. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, 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 it's refreshing, um, and I, I know what you're saying, but I, I haven't gone too far outside that box. Like, you know, I, I may I go know. up one, one weight or maybe, maybe two, but three. You know that just be you get to really see how the line affects the rod, right, and vice versa. Correct, and it's very interesting to see what people do if they don't know. You know, you can make this experiment at home. I, I guarantee you come probably to the same results if you go to a friend and say, take a rod and tape off whatever's written on it and give it to me and I try a few lines and then you'll, you'll everybody mm. can repeat that experiment. You know what I mean? As long as I think the brain gets very quick influenced. Or in, yeah. 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 In fly fishing with this. This, this, let me call it brand fetishism. Yeah, I have to have this and that super fast rod that will make me cast further and da da da. What usually happens is that this rod just throws your old mistakes maybe half a foot further. <laughs> that's a great quote. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's I see, I see it every day. I did it myself a couple of times. Yeah, but this is not how you progress. You do not progress through new gear, though the industry tries everything to make you believe that. And just people, I think a lot of people don't want to put the effort into practice. And they don't make the practice fun. They, they, they put themselves under pressure, trying to cast the best cast all the time. And, you know, like they, they don't make it fun. When I practice casting, and Bonkers Bay is also a fun method. We haven't even talked about that one. See, it's just fun. Yeah. And um, I try, when I'm casting, I try to practice casting faults. I practice tailing loops. I practice to tangle up deliberately because I know when I can throw a tailing loop or this and that tangle on command, I can also switch it off at any time. Right. And a lot of the teachings in fly casting, I think, have the wrong perspective of always looking at the very best cast from a perspective of a very best caster. But 80% of the people can't do this, and they never will. And the thinking is not coming from an average base. It's not for the average caster it's for the super caster and that's through the whole industry the whole system it's a top-down view not a bottom-up view do you understand yeah, what i mean i do i do yeah i think of i think of like in the golf world just because you know those those guys and gals on the pro tour are using extra stiff shafts and and ballata golf ball doesn't mean <laughs> doesn't mean that you and i should be doing that you know um yeah, correct interesting um so I think the one thing that, that I would say is from what looking at your videos is you really need to see it. You know, the, the bonker space system method of casting. Um, where's the best place to find it? Uh, your YouTube channel or uh, my YouTube channel. <clears throat> okay. I, I don't so far, I haven't made a big effort to edit all these videos. And when I go, this is, 
most of my videos are shot at my practice lake and that's just 10 minutes up the hill here and I just clip my GoPro on, on a fence there and I shoot a quick video. I don't make much effort with editing and la 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 because I'm not much of a digital being just and I just want to get the word out there and get mm. people to to try this or to try to think themselves into it or and there's also I wanted to say that too. I must give out maybe if I if I may a couple of props to the people all over the world uh, practicing bonkers Bay already. I have people in Singapore, Joseph Wong, and people in Sweden, Luxbound, and you know people who under, who start to understand the potential and who support this and who also practice this. And people from here, Marty Byrne, Sean Dini, some fishermen and guides from here who also use it for guiding and also the guides said well you're right it is the best in the wind you see it's just another tool in the box but mm -hmm. when it is windy for example and when it gets awkward and when you have someone who can't make a cast at all and you know to teach them that you can get them fishing then and you can just fish longer and relax there yeah. And if you look at Vonkers Bay, at the beginning, it looks very weird and it looks very complicated. And it looks like a lot of steps. But as the first two steps, like this grabbing the line and pulling it into anchor configuration, this doesn't happen on the rod load. You know, the mm -hmm. rod is not loaded. Therefore, there's no timing issue, no pressure. This line won't swim nowhere it won't fall nowhere because it's hanging over the rod so you can take all your time you need to set it all up and then make your cast i think a lot of people in casting especially the good casters are so used to being fast and ultra fast all the time that they have difficulties to adapt to this method because it's only fast at the end and the rest of it is very slow right but this slowness brings the control and this slowness brings the <clears throat> time to set it all up. And yeah, if you watch a heron fishing, for example, he's not hammering the water a hundred times till he has a fish. He just makes the one poke, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Watch that many times. And, and uh, yeah, that's a bit how Bonkers Bay works. Or it's just, I like to think of it as a different weapon system. Like, as I said, as a crossbow weapon system compared to a longbow weapon system. And that's like the, the, the analogy. If you think about a beginner shooting a longbow, he will be struggling. Yeah? He can't pull the string and hold it. And he doesn't know where to aim. Or it's a lot of things doing at the same time. Whereas if your beginner has a loaded crossbow, he only has to hit the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And um, that is, see, I'm working all the time on mental pictures like, like this, for example, or another picture I like is you have to do a certain amount of work 
to get your fly from downstream to across where it fishes again. And the Broncos phase system is a bit like a pulley wheel system where you sort of crane the line up at the higher level eh, in order to throw it over, but you're not working hard and you're not moving it fast and you're not slapping and churning up the water. And so it's a, it's a different, it's just a different tool, a different weapon system. Yeah. So I want to take it to the water for a little bit and uh, I, I want you to paint us a picture. I, your dream day on the water, Michael. So I assume you're you're doing some bonkers bay casting. Um, but walk us through that. You know, are, are you chasing salmon? Are you chasing trout? Are you on a dry dry line or on a sinking line? Is there something cold or warm to drink? Uh, paint us a picture of your perfect day. We live in an area... We fish here spade rivers. That means they only fish when there was rain. So the perfect day would start with a heavy night's rain. <laughs> and uh, when I wake up in the morning and I can hear the water because it's running from my hills here, then I know, okay, good conditions for salmon fishing. And the perfect day would be to, in these good conditions, maybe... I live in an area where I have about 10 salmon rivers or a dozen, around a dozen in a, in a radius of an hour's drive. And a perfect day would be to fish two or three rivers in the one day hmm. or a couple of hours, you know, and try to score a fish out of every one of them. I like a bit of challenge or I like to... Yeah, to be guiding and accompanying people. I, I nearly have more joy in the meantime out of someone getting a fish I guide than catching it myself, to be honest. You know, What's... I had one great day this, this year with a guide, guiding a guide friend of mine on a new river he's never been on and we were successful. That, for example, was a very satisfying day, you know, just... I I like it to be to be able to deliver. It doesn't work out every every time, of course, but uh, I find that a good day. Like even if I'm not getting a good, you know. What's warming you up in the morning? Is is it tea? Is it coffee? What's your oh coffee? Big time, big addict. We run a coffee business ourselves, so I'm hooked up here with a professional coffee grinder and a proper espresso machine and without it i wouldn't i wouldn't get out of the house <laughs> do you do you um roast your own beans or do you no we have a roaster here locally okay nice um what's so your your coffee company what's the name of it again pirates of the coffee bean like Pi pirates Pir of the caribbean Pirates of the coffee bean. Got it. Uh, what's your, yes. what is your go-to uh, coffee called? Like, is it, is it like some type of special roast? What's. Uh, our coffee is called new kit. Okay. Uh, I don't know the it's, we, we like to change it up every once in a while, a little bit too, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of having the same old thing every day and, and day out. So I like a bit of change, you know? Mm -hmm. So every once in a while, I want to try another bean, another roast, another 
Only if I know afterwards I go back to my same old thing because it wasn't that good, but I want to know. Where where do most of, in your mind, the best beans come from? Like what region of the world? <sighs> There's such a lot of beans and countries and origins. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't make... I wouldn't even dare to make a statement on that one because you don't get the chance to try them all, you know? Yeah, no, fair, fair it's enough. Very, very... I, I have a bit of a uh, coffee nut myself, and uh, when, when we find a roaster, a small uh, roaster that we really like, it's uh, uh, we're all in. Um, I, I want to ask you some uh, kind of deeper questions about, about fly fishing, if you don't mind. Is there anything that kind of irks you or um, is there anything as, as a group you think fly fishers we could be doing better at? <laughs> I could fill a book with that one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> page one. <laughs> page one. Uh, uh, I... I think, in general, the teachings in fly casting have a lot of homeworks to do. And that is from the way how instructors present themselves to people all the way to how they communicate things and, you know, what they say. And I was already on about <clears throat> this... Um, thoughtless repetition or i gave you this example with let the rod do the work versus make the rod do the work for example yeah and um, <clears throat> yeah the development of the rod borne anchor casting methods and the wave spay methods that follow out of it and the follow-up cast made me question and look into a lot of things in fly casting and I personally think a lot of people don't want to hear this, but I think that the concept of the loop is a thinking mistake as well as the aftma is. And that it evolved from, yeah, where did it evolve from? Do you know, Mark, do you know why it's called a loop? No, I have no idea. Hmm. Funny, huh? Now you can ask this question to every casting instructor in the world, which I try to do, no one knows. Hmm. Well, then it's my same, my next question would be then, yeah, how can you tell people about a loop <laughs> when you don't even know where it's coming from? So that made me dig deeper here, you know? And, um, it showed that every question you ask about the loop leads to sort of dodgy terrain. Yeah, it leads to no proper information. Yeah, for example, who came up with the concept of the loop? Uh, we have, like, if somebody comes up with. Yeah, an underhand cast, you have Göran Andersson there. Or if somebody comes up with 
scheduled casting, though he might have not, you have certain names associated to that. Why is there no name associated to the source of the loop or to that hmm. thinking model? You know what I mean? I do. I have no idea. Do you know the answer? <clears throat> I... I, if you want to dig into this, I can, well, I study history of fly fishing too a little bit or uh, with investigating this question, a good friend of mine, props to him too, Charles Winters, came up with a book that's, it's, it's online too. And this book is called The Angler and the Loop Rod. And it is from 1885. And the author is Mark, no, um, David Webster, sorry. And in this book, he describes the loop rod. And, um, but this loop rod description, this is 150 years ago. And back in the day, people had just a stick of ash wood. And on the top of the stick, there was a horsehair loop right. attached. Right. And into that horsehair loop, you looped to loop your other fishing line into your horsehair ah, okay. loop to loop. Yeah. This is why this is why in eighty eighty five, the the loop rod is called the loop rod, but it has nothing to do with the casting uh-huh. line picture of the loop that's flying out there. Yeah? Huh. And <clears throat> then I tried to find out, yeah. Who uses this concept first for teaching casting? It must, you know, that must must come from somewhere. Where is this? Where is this thing coming from? Now, I tried to find out more about this, and there's a man and a rod builder. He is called E. C. Powell, yeah. who writes a couple of. Um, essays between 1919 and 1937 and uh, some very knowledgeable people say that the source of the loop is in there and but I never seen it and I never got it shown I don't know this book these these essays are not available anymore and I can't unfortunately get a look into it. So hmm. this is very uh, a weird, a bit of a weird thing. Yeah. It strikes me that you don't kind of get too surface on anything. You're all in, aren't you? <laughs> well, I'm all in for becoming a better caster every day. And if I have to sacrifice the loop for it, I do it without hesitation. Right. And what I think is, there's another name uh, associated, or there's another very popular guy who writes a book four years later, and his name is F.M. Halford. Maybe you heard of him, and he wrote a book called Dry Fly Fishing in Practice, in Theory and Practice, I think it's called. And in this book, there's a wee bit of casting instruction, and he mentions that the line loops over the rod tip there, but in a very casual sense Mm -hmm. and i personally think that the loop evolved from there because that was a very very popular book and 150 years back information would only 
spread through that, you know. Right. There was no telephones, no nothing, blah, blah, blah. And um, I personally think that a rod vibrates and that the line picture is an expression of that vibration and therefore more wave-like and not a loop. Hmm. A loop, per definition, has to be closed or overlapping. Our loops don't do this. What does what does a loop do during the cast? It unrolls. Then at some stage, that loop must become a no loop. Right. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. So the, the whole concept is illogical in my mind. And it's also common from a time from like 150 years ago. This is the time where people believed radioactivity is healthy and where people believed if you're left-handed, you need to be beaten into a right hand because the left hand is dirty, for example. Yeah. Huh? There's some, you so look the, back in history, there's some, some crazy notions I, and there's still some today, but yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. A lot of people don't want to hear this, but it's just, it's just a fact. Huh? And if you're, if you stay into this wave concept or analogy, whatever, um, and if you think further on, on into into vibrations and just drop the loops for a second and ask yourself the question, why can you hear bad casting? Mm. Huh? Bad yep. casters go <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. They produce the wrong wave sound. They produce noise. Sound is a wave, right? Yeah. And I think that this, that the flycast is a wave mix and the loop is a brainwash. I know. And it doesn't that, that sound, you got, you got me with that sound though, Michael. That's, uh, I know you don't have to describe that. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know when it yes. sounds right. Yeah. There's also, yes. And <clears throat> I say we can learn a lot more about flycasting if we throw that loop overboard and look into the waves and these sounds and these noises, for example, the distance spay casters, if you watch them on YouTube, they produce a very distinct sound that is sort of very similar. Hmm. And I think when we start to put some, some investigation, some scientific methods into this, like measuring that sound, for example, that frequency, that we can learn a whole lot more about casting than we do with this restrictive thinking and loops that doesn't make much sense for me. Huh? And of course, I get massive critique there. I don't have to tell you that there's million dollar companies named after that misconception, huh? but that's not my fault. Hmm. And of course, they don't like to hear things like that. No, but no. but what I present is a collection of facts, and they are as such not to. You can't wipe this off the table just like that and say it has always been called a loop. That's just the way it is. La 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 la. You know, um, 
<clears throat> I know this this topic is hard to approach for a lot of people, and probably you think too. Oh man, what's this boy saying there? <laughs> no, but, you'd be surprised. But, it's hard to catch it. I I actually like I like chatting with people with all opinions. Like to me. There's no right or wrong a lot of the time. It's like, look, uh, here's here's what I've found. Here's what works for me. Like, And that's how you came up with Bonkers Bay. It's not like you just, you know, you had to you had to figure it out. And that's what you've been doing. It's, it's, you yeah, strike, exactly. You, you need to know the answers, don't you? Like, you, I just find that, I find it fascinating. Like, I would never think, okay, well, where did the term loop originate? You know, when we're talking about casting loops or tight loops or... Um, we all, we all say it. I just never really thought about it. I, I just assumed it meant like, I always think of a loop, like a lasso, you know, like, like that, yes. that imaginary loop, your line never really forms a loop, but it kind of does in slow motion, if you know what I mean. And yes. What, uh, but it doesn't end, but it doesn't end up as a loop and there's a big inconsistency. Yeah. Yeah. No. Fair, and, um, fair. <clears throat> I, I really, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you listening and talking to me, Mark. That's super important for for fly fishing, hopefully, and also for my mental health. <laughs> that, you do find, that you do find some understanding people that at least listen to you. And I don't, a lot of people get, I don't know, um, uh, yeah, you know what I, when, I, when, I, when they hear things like that because they're so in love with that concept mm. of the loop or whatever. But like every question you ask about the thing doesn't lead you to nowhere. And that's why it doesn't have a foundation at all. It's not. Yeah. If you would drag the, the loop in front of a court and make a case out of it, it would get sued and put into prison. <laughs> Well, it, it's healthy to question things, right? I mean, it absolutely is. There's no doubt in my mind. And I I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and, and, and telling us kind of what you're up to. I, I, I encourage our listeners, just if you get a second, check out Michael's uh, YouTube and you, you'll see what we're talking about with this bonker spay. Because I, I know you've taken a lot of heat and uh, you know what? It's your opinion. It's... it's, it's um, you're doing your research and and I think it you best verbalized it in my mind when you said it's a tool in the toolbox who can get angry with that you know what I mean it's just you call it whatever yep. the heck you want if it works just do it yep right or leave it even but don't take the opportunity from other people see that's that's what where I get where I get a bit um, upset and angry is when I get censored and blocked from people who decide over 10,000 of people what they see and what they don't see and I'm not doing anything illegal and what I do is it works and mm -hmm. this discrimination this is where 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 I where I get a problem and uh, but I must also say <clears throat> those people who critique so hard are usually people who don't understand fly casting very well. So not one qualified instructor in the world was negative about Bonkers Bay or very few like neglectable amounts. So people who have a deeper insight into this, they 
they see that it has a has a value to it. It's only problematic that these negative voices always weigh like mm. ten times yeah. harder in than all the rest. And at the beginning, I was very reactive to this negativity and answered every comment and was very. In the meantime, I just uh, yeah, <laughs> I try to let go a bit more of it, but. Then, you, you know, I stand alone there and I just, a lot of people misinterpret my reactions sometimes as, as personal, but I just professionally try to be as professional as possible and defend my method like I would do in, sure. a, in a university in front of a whatever, uh, or in front of a court or, you know, whatever. And the facts are there <laughs> and uh, it has even if some people don't like to hear it it has certain advantages and in some situations it is the better tool if i wasn't 100 percent conf confident that it is i wouldn't be standing here with you or with mm. german magazines or with with whoever you know so i just try to get the word out and to my first motivation really is to make, motivate other people to grab a rod and to have fun with it. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think Bonkers Way, once you can relax yourself into it, is a super fun method that can teach you so much and where you can, can relax and, you know, you can let go of all this tight loop nonsense pressure. See what what happens a lot of time, and I've seen this, and I made this experience myself. You're a beginner. Mm -hmm. You walk up to a casting instructor. This casting instructor stands there and throws beautiful lines back and down, and you think, "Wow, Jesus, I, I, oh wow, oh, super, hey man, tell me how do you do this?" And your man says, "Just hey." You have to throw a tight loop. Look here like this. Look here like this. Boom, boom, boom. And you look at it and you think, oh, I can never do that. And you think, I have to practice. And you go and practice. And what you do usually from then on is you put pressure on yourself to throw the same tight loop. Or I did. Mm. And this pressure it's the worst you can do to your casting because you don't learn well under pressure. Yeah, that's true. You have to make this thing fun. Yeah. And I think another big problem with this is that you teach people to always make the perfect cast only in general. I don't do this. As soon as people can cast a halfway decent line, I try to show them to cast casting faults deliberately hmm. on purpose. You can't do this while you're fishing. That's why it's very important to separate practice and fishing. But uh, this is how you learn far more by practicing mistakes and correcting them than by setting yourself under pressure, making the perfect cast all the time, you know? Yeah. So. I try to, <clears throat> I like it, I like to, uh, I, I like to play with the limits 
Yeah. Yeah. I give you an example. For example, forward switch cast. Just no change of direction, and I play with the limits. For example, I practice my anchor being too small, far too small, exactly right, a little bit too big, and far too big. So I make casts that are deliberately bad with a too big of an anchor, or with a too small of an anchor, skip an anchor, da, 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 da. because I know when I can skip anchors and make them too big, I will exactly know where is the sweet spot of the whole system, you know? Mm-hmm. This is the way I practice. I don't practice the good cast, I practice the bad cast. Well, that's where you learn, right? Like when you do something Correct. wrong, if you do something enough, you're going to make mistakes. And and uh, But I, you have, go have ahead. to have... A lot, of, a lot of people get very quickly frustrated when they tangle up and so on. And you have to have this mindset of tangles. I also have the mindset, I say, tangle is great, perfect. If I get a tangle while practicing, superb. That's the best place to have a tangle because I have it there. Then I don't, I won't have it when I'm fishing because I know what produced this tangle now i can focus on these things and i analyze these things where exactly is this tangle from and only if you know that you can switch it off the next time well, I but a lot of people are not not aware of this and they just tangle up they don't know why they untangle get frustrated and continue and same thing happens again i see this over and over hmm. and <clears throat> Just a little bit more practice, a little bit more thinking, and a little bit more relaxing in general. I think fly casting has a has a has a weakness of accepting the mistake, you know. And Bonkers Bay is originally a casting mistake that mm. happens when you yeah. when you're not aligning your anchors, and it's a it's a it's a system evolving out of a mended mistake, sort of, and it shows how how valuable mistakes really are. And I only would like to know how many other examples are out there in real life that we haven't even noticed yet, you know? <laughs> uh, well, hey, listen, I, I really... Appreciate you taking the time tonight, Michael. I've learned a lot. Um, I, I I love what you're doing. It's different, and uh, I love the way you verbalize it. And your passion is unmistakable. Just so you know, that's the one thing I always look for on this show is passionate people, and you are definitely one of the most passionate uh, we've had on the show. Um, thanks for taking the time tonight. Hey, thank you so much, Backman. That was absolutely. As you said, laid back, enjoyable chat with you. Thank you so much for uh, having me. And I'm, I'm uh, buzzing. <laughs> my, so that was. It, it's been my pleasure. You've been listening today hello. to a chat with Michael Rayboltz. Michael is out of Glen Tees, Ireland. He is a flycaster, casting instructor, inventor of Bonker Spay. Check out his YouTube channel. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. 
email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines, and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.